All right, well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, I had hoped that last week preaching from my desk would be a one-time thing, um, but here we are. Can you guys hear me okay? Can you give me a thumbs up or a wave or something? Okay, I can at least see all your arms moving. Um, thanks, Jer, for the amazing camera work. So at least I can feel like I'm there with you guys. But I'm I'm thankful for uh, just all of the setup stuff that uh, my brother Jeremiah does behind the scenes and that we could still meet together and sing songs of worship together and remember who our God is. Um, even though uh, it's been a strange time and for me a strange week, and I'll say more about that um, as we go on. Um, and so uh, our sermon series has been, let me get these up here. So today we're going to be talking about Jesus and what it means that he's our great high priest. And really what that means is we're going to be talking about how does our relationship with Jesus Jesus specifically, uh, last week we talked about God the Father, next week we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. How does our relationship with Jesus specifically help us moment by moment, particularly in the moments where we might feel lonely? And it's been a pretty, at least physically, a pretty lonely week um, uh, going on day 11, I think, of staying in my room for the most part, other than going out and getting food when when I'm hungry, but... um, I'm thankful that this has been our sermon series. I had no idea that this was going to happen when God put it upon our hearts to talk about how God meets us in our loneliness. And so our theme verses, as you've known, um, come from Psalm 68, 5 and 6, where it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And so as we've been talking about how uh, God invites us into, um, a, he, answered, he, he brings us into a home in a couple ways. We've said that he brings us into a home of himself. And we're really in part two of that as we talk about our relationship with Jesus when we think about the three people of the Trinity. We're going to talk about this more in a couple weeks where the other way that God, uh, an additional way that God brings us into families is uh, literally through the body of Christ and a way that we get to experience it through the encouragement and the blessing of other believers. And as strange as this week and as frustrating as it has been for a giant extrovert like myself to not be able to go outside um, or, or live life quote unquote normally, um, I'm really thankful for your prayers. Um, thank you for praying for uh, for Dilo, for uh, my housemate. Um, he's feeling better, but still has symptoms. So hopefully we're at the tail end of um, how long I'll be in this quarantine. Um, and I uh, just, I could feel the love of Christ from people who would bring food by knowing that we can't really leave the house. And so um, it's just a way where tangibly I've been able to feel that. And so when we think about Jesus as our high priest, I wanted to start by um, kind of going back to a song um, that we used to sing here many years ago. It's been forever. Like I, I would be surprised if any of you, uh, if too many of you remember this song, um, but there was a song called My Best Friend. And uh, it was in the mid-2000s, maybe early 2000s when it came out. Um, But the chorus just went like this, like, Jesus, you are my best friend, and you will always be. Nothing will ever change that. Anyone? Like, raise your hand if you remember that song. Is anyone? Okay, I see, like, just a few, probably people in my relative age bracket. So, you know, thank you um, for that. Um, There was something about this song that I always found really comforting. 
And as I've been kind of studying about what it looks like for us to have a relationship with Jesus this week, um, I don't, I can't, when I look back on hearing that song and why it was so meaningful to me at the time, I can't say I knew exactly what it meant that Jesus was my best friend or that that would never change or why that was encouraging to me. But there was something subconscious that made me love that song that made me think, man, this is like a really powerful thing that Jesus, the son of God, if we look kind of theologically throughout the whole Bible, um, and we see that he's been there from the beginning of time um, and been a part of this plan that God's had to love his people, that he would uh, that he would be someone I could call my best friend. And like, I, I didn't know how all that worked, but there was something comforting about that. Um, and I think this idea that we could be close to Jesus, um, there are ways that we've seen it expressed in a variety of ways. Um, I don't know, maybe this is also relative to uh, those who are around my age, but um, not too long ago, or maybe it was a long time ago uh, now that I think about it, but there were t-shirts that would have this uh, drawing of Jesus and the words, Jesus is my homeboy printed on them. Let me see some hands. Anyone ever seen a t-shirt like that? Okay, thanks, Grace. I think that's Grace. And so, all right, one person, that's good. And then there were spinoffs of this where people would take like, you know, uh, famous people that uh, to us through TV or media or, or pop culture or whatever, like Chuck Norris is my homeboy or, or something like that, where there, you'd see these like different things of like expressing this closeness to this person, right? And so a critique of this idea um, that sometimes we might hear is that Jesus is too high and too revered, too holy to be put on a t-shirt in a way where it's like, oh, I'm close to him. He's my homeboy. And I, I think when we look into who Jesus is and what he's done, there is an amount of reverence that we absolutely want to have for him. Um, but the fact that he is the son of God and our great high priest and someone that also identifies with us, that um, can bring us great comfort through our day-to-day relationship with him, I think both of these things are true. And it's very powerful when we think about what this looks like for our uh, day-to-day life. And that's where we want to end up. Um, But uh, so we're going to see that in our passage today. And so I just want to go ahead and read it. We're going to focus mainly on um, these three verses. We're going to look at a couple other verses in the book of Hebrews that help explain uh, what the author is saying here. Um, But we're going to focus on these three verses that talk about who Jesus is this morning. So let's read together. Let me put it up. There we go. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it reveals to us who your son Jesus is, but not just in a knowledge-based kind of way, not in a way where we just know about Jesus, but in a way where we get to see, yes, he is your son. He has given his life for ours, as we've sung about very powerfully this morning. 
But God, that it also means that we can have this close relationship with you because of what Jesus has done for us. And that is good news for us moment by moment in our lives. So God, I pray that you'd be opening our our minds and our hearts to you this morning as we think about these words that we've just read. We thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are going to answer four questions in this, uh, that come from this passage. And so um, we're going to talk about who Jesus is, uh, where Jesus is, because that's important, and then what Jesus does and how he relates to us. So those are going to be our four points for this morning. And so um, we're going to answer these four questions. And the first thing that we're going to see is who Jesus is. These verses that we just read described him as our great high priest. And so let's get into this. If we look at this passage, uh, verse 14 starts with the word, therefore. In Hebrews chapter 4, it is the third time that the word, therefore, has appeared. And what the author is doing is he's trying to show that, um, he's trying to show that uh, this has some connection to what's already been discussed in the book of Hebrews so far. And so uh, let's take a look at uh, that from, some, from one previous passage Um, In Hebrews chapter 1, as the author is introducing what's going on, he is saying this. He says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We'll stop there. We'll talk about the second half later. Um, In the book of Hebrews, it is an encouragement to the Hebrew, the Jewish brothers and sisters who were experiencing, uh, who are just trying to um, follow God uh, during this time early in the days of the early church. And it's, a, um, it's an encouragement to them to really understand um, who Jesus is and how that changes everything for their faith. And so um, from the very beginning, this is just verse 3 of chapter 1, it talks about Jesus being the radiance of God's glory. And so that helps to describe who Jesus is from the very start. And that's what we see in chapter 1. Just for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through each one of them, but in chapter 2, we see how the author describes Jesus being made human, as we sang about in the first song this morning, that he became as we, as we are um, uh, human, and, um, but then used his humanity to be able to give his life for us. But it shows that in chapter two, he shared in our humanity. And in chapter three, it talks about how Jesus is a greater high priest than Moses. Now for Jewish people, to say someone is greater than Moses would be huge words, Right? And so um, that's a big claim to someone of Jewish descent when you think about who Moses was. Moses was the one who freed God's people from from Egyptian captivity, led them into the promised land. He was a huge figure of just like the faithfulness of God and how and leading God's people. And so for the author to say that Jesus is a greater high priest than Moses, those would be big words. And they are, especially as, as Moses, great as he was, both in, um, from a, a Jewish historical perspective, but also for us as believers today, being an, an amazing amount of faith, uh, an amazing example of faith. Um, really, what the author of Hebrews is trying to show is how amazing it is that Jesus is our high priest. And so when in, in our passage that we've been reading, or in the passage that we read earlier, uh, let me find it here. Yeah, there it is. Um, where it says, therefore, it's referring us back to these couple chapters. 
um, to introduce us to who Jesus is, that he's the radiance of God's glory and has been from the beginning of time. And he's also our great high priest, even greater than that of Moses, who was a great leader uh, within the history of God's people. And so that's some of the context to where the author is talking about who Jesus is. So when he says, therefore, he's looking back on those previous several chapters. We also get this idea of rest um, that we see uh, in just leading up to these verses. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But we see here um, that I have underlined the words great high priest. And that's answering the question of who Jesus is, at least as the author of Hebrews is describing him. Now for us, um, growing up on this side of the cross and the Holy Spirit and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and where we are today um, in the church age that began shortly after Jesus' resurrection, um, we may not fully understand the concept of a great high priest. If you've grown up in church, maybe you've heard of it, um, but the idea of a high priest was the one who would perform the sacrifices for God's people um, to, for them to be able to uh, experience the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. And so um, in the Old Testament, prior to Jesus, there were all these sacrifices that would need to take place to cleanse the sin of, the, of God's people in order to bring them back into right relationship with him. And so that's when, it said, when the author says we have a great high priest, he's using a concept that the Hebrew people would be very familiar with that we want to understand. And now just because we don't grow up, we didn't grow up in the Old Testament and we may not um, at least readily think of what a high priest means, it is such great news that Jesus is our high priest. And we are going to see that in our last, as we answer our last question, uh, the last few questions today. Um, but we just want to keep that in mind. So when we're talking about who Jesus is, um, he has been there from the beginning of time um, and he's described as a great high priest here. And so um, just prior to this, in chapter 4, it talks about this different type of rest, a Sabbath rest that we can experience because of Jesus' role as our high priest. Because of the ways that, just as they did in the Old Testament, they would give the sacrifices so God's people could experience right relationship with him. Then we can experience this true rest because Jesus is our high priest. And we'll see more of what that means in a moment. But I think that's important in the broader picture of this series when we think about God meeting us in our loneliness and bringing us into homes where we feel at peace and where we feel connected. That's a great description of what true rest is. And I think in, in the strangeness of what this last week was like, um, I got a lot of physical rest. I've slept more than I normally do. I even took a nap a couple times because like, there's still meetings for me to go to on Zoom. There's still uh, things to read to prepare for this sermon. There's still things going on in the course of the normal work week, but a lot of the other things I normally would do weren't there, so I would, I would take a nap. And if you know me, I, like, I can't remember the last time I took a nap, but I, I've shared this before. It's like usually when I take a nap, it's like it doesn't actually help anything. I just wake up feeling more tired than before, right? And so this week, even though I've been able to experience a lot of physical rest in quarantine, life has been quiet. Pre previously to this, I think I was complaining about my life being too loud. And I think some of this timing uh, has to do with God's sense of humor. Um, but it really hasn't been that restful for me. I'm anxious about when I can get back to normal. Um, and it's not about sleep or not about a lack of things on my schedule or not about like uh, just all the ways that we might think we find physical rest. 
but it's saying there is rest found in Jesus that we can experience because of his role as a high priest. And that's what's happening prior to verse 14, where the author says, therefore, he's referring back to this Sabbath rest um, that God's people can experience because of who Jesus is. There is this rest found in Jesus that we want to experience. Now, why can we trust that this is true? Why can we trust that Jesus as a high priest is something good for us? We'll see what that looks like in our lives um, practically. But then the second point for this morning, the second question, where Jesus is, helps to start to explain why it is good news that he is our high priest. And so the passage tells us where Jesus is, that he is in heaven. And we see this in verse 14. So after it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, it then says, who has ascended into heaven? Jesus, the son of God. And I find this important because a lot of times when we think about the Trinity, And we're saying if God is meeting us in our loneliness by bringing us into his family, into a relationship with himself, it's important for us to be specific about the three members of the Godhead and how they relate with us. And so when we say God is here, God, we experience God's presence. I absolutely believe that's true. And I know that's something that I, uh, that I've experienced many times and I want to experience as much as possible. But that doesn't change the fact that the Bible tells us that Jesus is in heaven right now. Now, we're going to see that that's good news for us. Um, but when we say God is with us, hopefully as we, as we think about the Holy Spirit next week and how all three members of the Godhead, once we've thought about the Father, as we talked about last week, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how they function in perfect harmony in our relationship with, with, with us, then we will experience what's actually going on literally when we say God is with us. And I think that's really important just for the sake of clarity and for us to trust and believe um, what's going on. And this is important for a couple of reasons that we know where Jesus is. So that's answering the second question. Where is Jesus right now? In heaven at God's right hand. And if we go back to chapter one, verse three, let's read that second sentence. It says, after he had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And what the author is saying here is after Jesus died on the cross, after he was on earth, ministered to people, um, died on the cross, rose again, providing this purification for our sins, this forgiveness of sins, our salvation, he then sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And that's where he is right now. And that's important for us because we want to be specific about what's going on in our relationship with God. And um, it shows us, I think this shows us how worthy Jesus is, that we could say like, okay, we talk about this relationship with God and this relationship with Jesus, why is it important? Well, if he's sitting at the right hand of God in heaven, I think experiencing heaven and being there and just being able to worship God fully in a world where there's no more sin, where there's no more pain, and all of the challenges that we may have endured in our lives, all of those are taken away when our sole focus is just on worshiping God. If Jesus is there right now, I think that shows the authority that, that we can trust him, that, we, that, that he has, that, that mean we can trust him with our lives. And so that's one reason why it's important for us to know where Jesus is. Um, and so... Uh, It also shows us, I think, a key concept about faith and our belief in God. 
And that's this idea that if Jesus is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God right now, we're going to see why that's good news when we answer questions three and four in just a moment. But that's really important for what it means to, but for us right here, right now in a Holy Spirit church age, 2022, with all the craziness that we're experiencing in our world, it shows us a true, uh, uh, like an important about, uh, importance about truth and about faith and belief. And what I'm getting at here is it shows us that Jesus is doing something very powerful for us, being our high priest. We're going to talk about that in questions three and four, but we can't physically see him. And what that shows us is this important truth about faith when it comes to faith in God. And that means walking by faith and trusting what we see to be here is true, as is written to us by the author of Hebrews, Um, but that we're not walking by sight, we're walking by faith. And the author goes on to say this later in Hebrews in a very key chapter, in chapter 11, where he talks about all of the faithful um, and godly people who have gone before him. And he says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And that's really important when we think about who Jesus is. Because I firmly believe many of us, myself included, have experienced the power of relationship with God. Not just before, but right now in this moment as we worship together and in the future as we know and trust that he will be faithful to us. But if we're being specific we haven't physically seen Jesus, right? Maybe we've watched him in The Chosen or um, in The Passion of the Christ and we've seen depictions of him, but we haven't physically seen Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't experienced God's presence, but we want to be specific about what's going on and why it is important that he is sitting at the right hand of God. And we can only do this by faith, where we are trusting in what he is doing right now by being at the right hand of God. And so what does this heavenly authority and also this heavenly location that Jesus is sitting in, what does it result in for us? And that brings us to our third question for this morning. What does Jesus do? And this passage says he empathizes for us. Now, that's only half of what we need to understand, and we're going to see that in question four. But what does it mean that Jesus empathizes with us? If Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, he's with God in heaven, and he is a part of the Godhead, how does he use his godly authority to relate to us? And we see this explained in verse 15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. And this is a further important truth for us to understand about who Jesus is. And it shows us that he has experienced the weaknesses that we do as well. He has been tempted in all of the same ways that we are tempted as fleshly human beings. Um, I think a lot of times when we either when we sin or when we go through struggles or when we suffer hardships, our tendency is to think that we are the only ones experiencing that thing in that moment and that no one else can understand. Now, that's usually not true, but that doesn't account for our emotions that make us feel that way. And um, 
usually it's not that no one understands us. It's that we want someone who's gone through the exact thing that we are in that moment to help relate to us. And even if there is someone who qualifies, the chances of them being available to kind of walk us through it with the wisdom of what they've experienced, that's just not something we always are able to experience. And so um, as I've been sitting here in my room this week, frustrated of about the circumstances um, and how uncomfortable it is that I can't just walk out to my car and just go wherever I want. I mean, I suppose I, c- I could, but I've been firmly convicted that that's not the right thing to do in our situation. When I think about how uncomfortable this week has been for me, it's true that it has been. And a lot of times I'm tempted to think, man, this just sucks for me. Like, why, why am I in quarantine when most of our world is not? It was fine when I was preaching and you guys were also on Zoom and I could see your faces like at least a little bit closer. But it's like, man, I wish I was there with you guys in person right now because like that's the power of the body of Christ and, and with my brothers and sisters whom I love. And it's been frustrating to me how different and how uncomfortable my life has been this week. But when I think about who Jesus is and what he's been through, my lack of comfort this week, or my just uh, the the what I would describe as agonizing um, in sitting here in my room for going on eleven days now, I have to realize that pales in comparison to what it would be like to wear a crown of thorns, to be beaten, and to ultimately be killed in front of lots of people. And I think that uh, just. A comparison of suffering is not always a helpful thing. It can be quite dangerous in some ways, especially when we try to compare our situations to other people's. But in this case, the reason why I find it powerful is it shows me that when I'm struggling with a lack of comfort, Jesus has experienced all of that and more. And he knows what I'm going through in that moment. And he wants me to be able to vocalize that and bring that to him and say, Jesus, like I I confess that I'm struggling in this way and will you meet me here with your presence? And that's something that I've experienced quite a bit in this week and something that I've also wanted more of in how uncomfortable it's been. Now, the second word you could use uh, in addition to uncomfortable uh, is like, what is, a, what is an isolation? A quarantine is an isolation. And by definition, that's very lonely, right? Now, we just sang in the song Crucified, that where it's talking about how Jesus died on the cross. He died rejected and alone. And there were lots of people around when he was crucified. So I think what this song is trying to teach us is something that we see in the Bible, that though Jesus uh, was in this crowd of people when he's crucified, there was something extremely lonely about him dying on the cross. And I think what we can learn from this idea is that the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and experienced this period where he was taking on all of our sins and the father turned his face away for a moment so that he would pay the penalty of our sins. That was a deeper kind of loneliness than just not seeing anyone. It was the ultimate loss of relationship with God, his father, something he had never experienced before, but did in this, morning, in this moment out of love for us. And so in all of the ways that I might be frustrated by my loneliness, when I can think of Jesus and what he's been through, it's not to say that that means that magically solves everything that I'm experiencing or I suddenly feel like everything's fine. Although just talking about this out loud, I I do feel a little bit better saying it. 
But it helps me see that Jesus has experienced all of these things. He went through everything that I have. He's been tempted in in all of the ways that I've been tempted, and he didn't sin. And that's a really powerful thing, because many times when we think of our loneliness, we we just want someone who will understand. And Jesus understands true loneliness and true agony in what he's done for us by dying for us on the cross. Not just the physical part, which I'm sure was uh, just incredibly, like if you watch The Passion of the Christ, the level of the, um, just the gruesomeness in that in that movie, which I think, which was um, totally done on purpose for us to see just uh, what lengths he went to physically. We also have to consider the ways emotionally that he bore the brunt of our sins so that we might be in right relationship with God. And as a result of that, he experienced all of the agony and all of the loneliness that sometimes we do experience, right? It's not to say that our emotions or our experiences are not real or that they don't matter, but it's that in our relationship with God, because of who Jesus is, because of what he's experienced, we can know that we can have this relationship with someone who has experienced the same temptations and the same, the same challenges that we might be right now. And we can know it's not that he's going to take them away or just solve them for us. And we see this in other parts of scripture, but he wants to be with us as we go through them. And so that brings us to our final question that we want to look at. How does Jesus relate to us right now? We might say, yes, it's good news that Jesus is our great high priest and he died on the cross for us. We're, we don't want to minimize that or say anything. But if we're trying to like figure out what this looks like for us practically, What does it mean that Jesus is relating with us right now in this moment? And I think it shows us that he gives us this confidence to come before God. And we see that in chapter 4, verse 16. As a result of Jesus being our high priest, being able to empathize with what we've been through, what does the author then say? He says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I really love this verse because I think what this is showing us is that because of what Jesus has done, though we might have doubts of why we might be deemed worthy in God's eyes, we can still approach our Heavenly Father with confidence. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Last week, we talked about the prodigal son and how God the Father loves us at our worst. And as a part of this plan, Jesus dying on the cross, paying the purification for our sins, and then sitting at the right hand of God means this great truth for us today. When we sin, and we know that we do, we know there are ways that we fall short. When we sin, our sin does not have to separate us from God or destroy our confidence that we have this relationship with him, But because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, what he's done for us on the cross, though it happened one time way back in history, you can read about this in 1 John, how every time we sin, his death is continuing to advocate for us so that we might be in in right standing with God our Father. It brings us into a state of worthiness that deep down we feel like, or we, we know if we're being honest from our human tendencies, that we don't deserve And yet it's such great news that he's done this for us. 
I've shared this story um, that's one of my favorites uh, many times, um, and the longer that you listen to Daniel and I, you see how often we repeat our stories, Um, but it's been a long time for this one, and many of you, maybe lots of you, might not even remember it. Um, I think I last shared it in youth group like seven or eight years ago, so it's been a while, but when I was a senior in college and I was working at the UCLA Law School as an assistant um, to the professors, um, one of my jobs was just making copies for them, um, for all of the, the classroom, uh, just, um, uh, just resources they would need. And one rule that we had as part-time employees was the, you never, ever left a copy of an exam in the copy room. And the students, because they would do a lot of research, they also had access to the same copy rooms that we did. And so you had to make sure if you were copying an exam, you didn't want that to get out to give some students an advantage um, beforehand. And so like, that was one thing, like, you know, we were getting paid minimum wage. No one saw it in a, in a, in a school filled with like very prestigious, um, law school professors and like well-known attorneys who are now teaching, like, you know, we're just like the grunt work. And so in, in hindsight, I don't know how good a system it was that they would trust us in this way, but, but that was something that was made clear that it was important to us not to leave a test in the copy machine. So given that, I think this is a good story. What do you think happened? As I was making a photocopy of one of the final exams, I somehow, uh, I didn't realize it, I left a copy of the exam in there. And as I was in my office uh, with my boss who um, had given me the exam, he was a full-time assistant to one of the professors. The professor himself came back holding a copy of the exam that I had left in the copy machine. And he said, what is this? And right there in that moment, my boss said, oh, I made that copy and I left it there. I'm sorry. And you could tell the professor wasn't, uh, he wasn't happy. He was definitely like, I mean, come on guys, this is the one thing you're not supposed to do. And I think the reason why my boss did that for me was he knew that he had been working there for several years and he had a good relationship with the professors. And even though there would be uh, just some impact to him for, uh, for being the one, or at least saying he was the one who, who had made this mistake, he knew that his job working there was secure, where it would have been really easy to fire the 10 hour a week minimum wage person as myself. And I just see that as an incredible act of kindness that my boss gave to me in that moment. I think he did it just to be a caring person. And it sticks with me to this day. And now because of what he did in that moment, anytime I saw this professor, like I realized, like I didn't have to be scared or anything. But could you imagine if like for some reason, like they, like I had been the one who fessed up and for some reason, which makes no sense that they hadn't fired me, but I was still working there. Anytime I would see that professor, I would just cower in fear because I would know, I would think like, oh my gosh, he, all he sees me as is the one who left his exam in the copy machine. And to like have any sort of confidence in what I'm doing would definitely be destroyed because I'd just be so worried about what I had done wrong. And I do think a lot of times in our relationship with God, we can view ourselves as unworthy, not able to approach God because we know of the sin that we, the sins that we've committed and what exists in our lives that oftentimes separates us from God. But the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and that the death he died on the cross continues to advocate for us, then we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And I'm really thankful for this truth and what Jesus is doing for me right now at this moment 
that when I sin, because inevitably it happens, we all know that as, as human creatures, we follow the desires of our flesh and we fall into sin in different ways. The good news is that Jesus is sitting there at the right hand of God, forgiving us. And I've often wondered, like, if I think of the long list of the sins I've committed in my life, what actually gives me the confidence to come to church and sing as if I'm forgiven and smile or lift my hands or whatever it might be? And I'm not saying we shouldn't do any of those things. We should be exceedingly thankful that we can because of who Jesus is and what he's doing for us moment by moment at this time. And so when I think about who Jesus is, our great high priest, and where he is sitting at the right hand of God and what he's still doing for us, bringing us into right relationship with God over and over and over again so that I can come before God that I can have this relationship with him, that I can come before the body of Christ, and that we don't have to fixate on all of the ways that we fall short, but we can celebrate who we are as beloved and adopted children of God. That is such great news. And that is what the person of Jesus is doing for us. We sang several really great songs speaking about uh, just the depths of what Jesus has gone through for us on the cross. I love the songs that Peter picked for us today. And when we think about just how grand that is, the practical truth of that is that means we can experience God's presence right now, moment by moment. And in the struggle that it's been for me to think about godly things when I can feel frustrated and sitting at my desk and in my frustration and thinking that no one else is going through the same thing that I am, just to go on a long YouTube rabbit hole or Netflix rabbit hole and not think about God at all, the thing that can give me the ability to come before God and worship him and say, God, I am your beloved son. And whatever's happened in the past, I don't have to worry about it, but I can approach you with great confidence is because our great high priest is sitting at the right hand of God right now, bringing us into right relationship with him. That is the good news of what it means to know Jesus, the son. Now, practically, that also means we get to experience the amazing relationship that we have with the Godhead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will talk more about that next week. But it's, this is why it is so important for us to see the picture of the God the Father and Jesus the Son and the presence of the Holy Spirit and why all three of them matter. Because that is why we get to experience the freedom to be His children of God to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and not have to worry about all the things that we've done, though they are serious, though, they, though the penalty of sin is something we should have paid, and yet Jesus paid it for us so that we might be able to experience what true love and grace is really about. And that is such amazing news. I really hope that this is the last week that I'm here um, preaching at my desk. Um, I miss you guys. I, at least uh, I've seen some of your faces throughout the week on Zoom, but I I miss you guys and I want to be there in person. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, I'll for sure be back because none of us knows the future. But in the meantime, if I continue to experience the frustration and the loneliness of what it looks like to sit here in my room, I can know that I am a child of God and that his presence is here with me. And that is such great news. And so when we experience loneliness in all of the ways that we do, I pray that knowing who Jesus is will set us free to be able to experience our, our relationship with God and how good that is for us in our lives moment by moment. And so uh, hopefully I'll see you all next week, but if not, we know that for whatever strange 
reasons our, our future takes weird turns during the course of the pandemic, we can know that, the, that we can have this living relationship with the God of this universe because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for how powerful these truths have been for me in my own life. And I know they are um, just, they are freedom giving um, for us um, when we trust in you and when we remember who you are and what we've done. So God, we just thank you for this good news. And in a, in a world where we just see so many just uncertainties in our future and so many challenges that can be discomforting, that can be lonely, Lord, I pray that we would experience the joy of the ultimate relationship that we get to have with you because of who you are, because of what you've done. And Lord, I pray that that would set us free just to celebrate this together as the body of Christ. God, as we sing this last song together now, I pray that we would be so incredibly thankful um, for just the sacrifice that you've given us on the cross and that your son Jesus is sitting at your right hand, constantly bringing us into right relationship with you. We thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.